Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And so what we're going to be looking at is we're going to look at biblical text, the, the truth of the scriptures, and allow this biblical truth to inform our thinking so that we may increase in the knowledge of who God is. The bigger and greater we see God, the more that our hearts can rest in who he is and the power that he has and the power, his power in our lives. So as we take a look at God's story, we will look at the power of God's word. Now, not only do we see the power of God's word in creation, we also see it in redemption. We will look at how the creator himself is our redeemer. And so when we think about the power of God, think about these areas about his power. Think about his greatness, his majesty, his glory, that he is all powerful. There is a word that we use that is omnipotence or omnipotent, so that God is all powerful. So when we think about God as all-powerful, think about how God is sovereign. So when we think of sovereign, that he has full control of all things. There is nothing in this universe that happens without his knowledge, without his power, without his wisdom. So be reminded of that. When you hear the word that a king is sovereign over his kingdom, That, that his rule is what stands. He has full control over everything that takes place. So if he says that uh, let's raise up an army and we go forward, that's what happens. And so when we think about God, he is king of the universe. He is sovereign over his own universe. And we live inside that universe, right? So now... In the very beginning, we're going to see the evidence of the triune God at work. Look at what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So this is in creation account. In creation account, we see the Father creating. We see the work of the Holy Spirit as he's hovering over the waters. Then we also see in verse 3 that it says, God said, let there be light. When we go to John chapter 1, verse 1, who knows that verse? John 1, 1. And the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And so that's in reference to who? Jesus being the Word. Follow with me. So all things are created through Jesus and for Jesus. And so when you hear the spoken word of God here, it says God 
said the spoken word of God. That is, through Jesus, he is creating all things. So keep that in mind. In the very first three verses of Genesis, we see the evidences of our triune God at work in creation. And so when we see the Holy Spirit was hovering over uh, the waters, it says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. This is a picture or a description of chaos. Follow with me. Of chaos in disorder. So the Spirit of God was hovering is a picture of Him bringing order out of chaos. So follow with me because the Holy Spirit is demonstrating His redeeming power from the very beginning. So no matter how out of control or chaotic our situations may look like, it is never out of the reach of God's power. You follow with me? Because if everything was in chaos, more chaotic than we could ever encounter anything in our life, and yet God came upon everything and brought order when he spoke, uh, there was this, this it, it was out of God's own free will and by his absolute power, he called the whole universe into being, bringing into existence that which was non-existent. And that is a word that we also use, ex nihilio. Ex nihilio is actually saying created out of nothing. It's one thing to get something that was messed up and put it together. It's a totally different thing to create something out of nothing. That's the power of God in creation. The Apostle Paul captures this uh, when he's in Athens. In Acts 17, he says this, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God does not need anything. He is not a needy person. We are needy people. God does not depend upon no one for existence. We do. Look at what, the, what it says in the text. It says, since he himself gives life to all, us, and here, and breath to all things, and he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation, that they shall seek God and perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. So Paul captured this, the greatness and the power of who God is. All of us are dependent upon God, each one of us. 
So even in the creation account, God's story is pointing us forward to a future event. God's power is also displayed as we continue in the Old Testament when Israel was delivered from the bondage of Egypt. When they were under the hand of Pharaoh, God sends Moses to, it, to his people Israel to remind them of his covenant promise. In Exodus chapter 6, you can turn with me there. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. This is a few more books after, uh, I mean, another, another book after Genesis. Then you go right afterwards. Now we're going to get to the part of Exodus where finally they're being delivered. Now, when we see uh, this taking place, this is, again, God putting in display his power. So the children of Israel were, were, were captured for hundreds of years. And look at what God tells Moses to do. He says, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. Nowhere in here in the text do we see that the Israelites had power in themselves to deliver themselves. It was God who was always saying, I will do this. I will do that. I will deliver you. Again, pointing to us that it is God who has the power. So as we read through this passage, we're reminded also that this passage points us to a future event where God will deliver human beings from slavery to sin, from the bondage of Satan. With great power, he delivers. So there's plenty of stories that we see in the Old Testament. We're reminded of David and Goliath. We're reminded of that story. We're reminded of Samson. We're reminded of Elijah when he, when he prayed for rain. All these stories through the Old Testament are a reminder to us of the power of God, of the greatness of God. But just like the Israelites, when they were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, what was the next thing they were confronted with? The Red Sea. And they saw the Egyptian army right behind them. And did they begin to worship God at that moment? No. Man, they depended on it for real. Yeah. And so what begins to happen there is that 
They're, they're trembling with fear. And Moses reminds them again of the promise of God. And he cries out to God. And God delivers them. And they go through the Red Sea. They just see the Red Sea parted before their eyes. They experience such a miraculous power of God delivering them. They cross the Red Sea and they get to the next chapter in their life, which is the wilderness. Now, in the wilderness, were they celebrating and worshiping God? No. Again, they began uh, once again to murmur and complain. And so what begins to happen here? They begin to doubt the power of God. Bro, they, they, they just got delivered from the hand of the Egyptians. The Red Sea swallowed the Egyptian army. And again they go to this place. And again they began to doubt God. That's what happened in, 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 Man. in society. And that's my next point. Appreciate that, brothers. Because today we begin to do the same. The knowledge of who God is, of his power, of his greatness, goes out the window when something is out of our control. When something is not going our way, how do we begin to behave? When something is not according to the plan that we put together, how do we react? Oh, God, not real. Uh-oh. There you go. It becomes a distant memory. A distant memory. Pastor Sergio. Mm-hmm. Can, can I just say this? I, I, I have to say this. We depend on God for <coughs> materialistic things. The worldly possessions. Well, let me get into the next point because I'm sure you read my, my points here. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. There you go. So, let's give you a, some examples. So, you're making plans. You organize something put it together, all this effort behind it, and it doesn't go as planned. How do we respond? We are running late. We have to be there by a certain time, and all of a sudden we hit traffic. What about when the kids don't listen? How do we respond? What about when you realize that there's not enough funds in the bank and the bills are piling up? How do you respond? We try to take control. When things get out of our control, they're out of our reach. When, when circumstances are just beyond our, 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 our reach, like, we can't do nothing about it. What begins to happen is that these circumstances expose our limitations. When we're reminded that we're just humans. We're just humans. We see this in just about every area of our lives. And it has to do with careers, jobs. When it has to do with money. When it has to do with relationships when it has to do with other people's actions, or when it has to do with what others think of us, these 
efforts to try to take control, they produce something in us. Anxiety, fear, stress. We become real busy trying to get so occupied, but still get nowhere. We begin to try to control the outcome of the situation. We begin to manipulate others to try to get the outcome we want. These are just some ways that these idols begin to surface up. These idols begin to blind us from the true source of power. I'm going to give you two examples of two idols that, that are common in our society and are probably common to our own hearts. The idol of power and the idol of control. I'm going to give you a quick breakdown from the idol of control. What normally we see when we struggle with this idol of control, we try to have this self-discipline. There needs to be certainty in the things that we do. If not, we won't take that step. The price that I'm willing to pay is often feeling lonely. The greatest nightmare is uncertainty, not knowing what's ahead of us. And others often feel condemned or judged by us. And often we will feel worry and anxiety. What about the idol of power? What, what I seek then is success. To be winning all the time. To have some kind of influence over others. The price that I'm willing to pay is to feel overburdened or too much responsibility on our plates. You follow with me? My greatest nightmare would be feeling humiliated. We don't do well when we feel humiliated or disrespected. Others often feel used by us. And the struggle that we have in this is that we often feel angry. So those are just two Idols that are common amongst us. So as we're doing a little self-assessment through this, we're thinking these are the things that, that captivate our heart's affections. And this is exposing the unbelief that we have in our hearts. So we're reminded we have all this knowledge of who God is, but what good is it to have all this knowledge if we don't believe it? We must believe the truth, the reality of who God is, the power that is in his word, the power in which God has worked all throughout the Old Testament. We see it, but yet when it comes to a situation that we encounter that is out of our control, we have a problem. Right? Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. We struggle. So in the New Testament, in the New Testament, 
When we think about the New Testament, there's nowhere else in God's story where God's power is seen more clearly displayed than in the story of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When you there, you say, Amen, amen. amen. Praise the Lord to me. All right. Yeah, there you go. Come on. So this is what the word of the Lord says right here. Chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. For Jesus, for the, I mean, for the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and falling to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of who? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. When we think about the power of God, it is Jesus we should be looking to. Jesus is the power of God. We see this in Hebrews chapter 1, and I'm going to read this text to you because remember when we're talking about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. Keep that story in mind, and now look as I, I read this text. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days, he, being God, has spoken to us by his Son, being Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom... Also, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Let me stop. You see everything around us, the whole universe. Y'all seen like the, the Discovery Channel and all of that? The whole universe. He holds it together by the power of his word. Jesus holds everything together. If the sun was one degree away, we would freeze. One degree closer, we would burn up. Like everything is in perfect order. And it is the power of Jesus' word that is holding it together. Now follow with me. I'm going to read something in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, being Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things Hold together. Again. Everything was created through Jesus. And Jesus holds all things together. If you leave from here today. I want you to get a greater picture. Of the supremacy of Christ. The glory 
and majesty of Jesus Christ. When we think about the power of God, look to Jesus. <coughs> A perfect example to us. We look to Jesus. But not only in that, we also see the power of God in Jesus through <coughs> the virgin birth. We talk about Christmas. Not only that, also that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. The Bible says, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin in our behalf. He, being God, made Him, being Jesus, who knew no sin. The word knew comes from the word that is used for conscience. His conscience was not even seared with guilt. It was not even stained with guilt. The last time that you sinned, did you feel guilty? Like, I mean, man, our, our conscience is all jacked up, right? We're like, oh, man, I messed up here, I messed up there. I've sinned here, I've sinned there. But Jesus was sinless. A perfect life that he lived for us. But also when we look to the Gospels, Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus demonstrated power over demons. It says that at the name of Jesus, what did the demons do? They trembled. Jesus demonstrated power over nature. He spoke into the storm and the storm calmed down. Jesus demonstrated power to give life because he told Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up and he came forth. The power of his word. See, all I'm doing, family, is informing us of truth. I'm reminding us because in the same way that the Israelites forgot through the wilderness, so will we. Forget during our seasons of wilderness. And we all go through them. None of us are exempt from them. I mean, we can say that 2017 was one of the most difficult years that we've had. So much chaos. From Harvey, you know, Demolishing so many things, and then all of a sudden, just last week or a week and a half ago, there was snow that came down. We're like, wow, only Houston, right? H Town, right here. All kind of stuff. But, but what we're looking at, though, is that everywhere around us, it reminds us that creation reveals the glory of God. And when we look at everything around us, we're reminded that there is one who is powerful and who holds all things together. That is Jesus. And now when we continue to look at the story of Jesus, we also are reminded that Jesus saved us from the wrath of God. There was, let me go ahead and put this out there. No human could endure the wrath of God. No angel could endure the wrath of God. There is, there is no such thing that Jesus was an angel, the angel Gabriel that hung on the cross, and this is, no, 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 no. 
Jesus is the son of God and only God himself can endure his own wrath. No one else. And so we see the power of God on the cross when he died and he paid for the penalty for all of our sins, forgiving us of all of our sins. Billions of people, family, billions of people, not just people in here, but billions of people. Can you imagine that? There's power in the blood of Jesus, right? There's power, there's power in the blood of Jesus. It comes from the scriptures. Then when we think about the grave, they put Jesus in the grave. But the grave could not hold him down. Death could not keep him down. And Satan had no power over Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead. We are just informing our thinking with the scriptures. I'm not giving you what other people said or this and that. This is all in the word of God. A reminder to us of who Jesus is. So now we see the power of God in the New Testament through, through Jesus Christ. And now Jesus Christ sends out his disciples. And he sends out this, the, his disciples to preach the gospel. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is. Not our fancy way of talking, not our big events that we try to put together, but it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. And the church has been entrusted with this power. Can you believe that God is entrusting us with this power, the gospel by which we are saved? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He entrusts you and I with this precious treasure, the power of the gospel. He entrusts us with that. But you know why? We are those jars of clay because there is no possible way that you can save your son, that you can save your daughter, that you can save your uncle. There is no way that you can save anyone. We can't save nobody. But who can? Say that again, Marisol. Jesus. Oh, amen. Jesus. And the gospel is about who? Jesus. The gospel is not about me nor you. The gospel is not about the things that you bring to the table, the things that you can do. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. So this powerful gospel then, shouldn't we use it more? 
Shouldn't we apply it more to our lives? Shouldn't we stop looking at the magazines and seeking counsel from a worldly perspective? Shouldn't we stop going to Theo or Dia thinking that they're going to solve our problems? We should go to God. Jesus Christ has made a way for us to go to the presence of God. That's how we're sharing last week. To come into the presence of God. Now, not only the church has the church been entrusted with this power, but we are empowered to go out. In Acts 1.8, we're reminded that, and he says, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and empower you to be my witnesses. Again, the church is empowered to send out. In Luke chapter 24, Again, Jesus is telling the disciples, he's telling them, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city till you are clothed with power from on high. You and I have access to this power. When you take any kind of tool and you plug it up to the wall, that wall is feeding. That it is a source of power for your tool to work. The light switch, the same thing. It has to be plugged to a source of power. You and I must be plugged to the same source of power. Not your strength, not my strength, but it is in God. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 3.10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Follow with me. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in who? In us. Man, we have no excuse then. The problem is that we continue to look to ourselves instead of to God. There is a beautiful proverb, and I'll end with this, a beautiful proverb, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. A beautiful proverb that we, you know, we can chew on throughout the day, throughout the week, and this is what the proverb says. Trust in the Lord with what? With all your heart. And lean. Not to your own understanding. No, no, no. It's lean on your own understanding. Ah, okay. uh, no, it's not that. Because if we lean on our own understanding, what happens? That's why the Bible says lean not on your own understanding. Because the Bible already knows what we do. What happens when we are challenged by something? We try to figure it out. We try to do it ourselves. We try to make sense out of the situation, but the Bible tells us, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean. Lean, not even a little bit. What am I doing? What, what is the pulpit doing to me while I'm leaning on it? It's holding me up, right? So whatever you're looking to, you're looking to it to hold you up during the season of the wilderness, but it's not gonna do that. Only God can do that. 
Only God can be the source of that power. It says, lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Not in some of your ways acknowledge him, not only on the ways that benefit you, but even in the areas that, man, God is calling you to a greater sacrifice. Maybe he's calling you to let go of something else. You're like, Lord, I can't do it, but God has the power to enable you to do it. So many times, this is what we come to the Lord and say, but Lord, I can't, I can't do this, God. And God's probably like, I know you can't. I'm here. I'm, I'm telling you. Next time, just kind of study yourself. Throughout the week, when something comes your way, when some kind of trial or tribulation knocks at your door, look at what we normally do. We'll either flee and lock the door, not wanting to open up, or we'll open and try to go at it ourselves. But the Bible is constantly teaching us that the power is not in you, the power is in God. So when we think about the power of God, we're looking to Jesus. Scripture says he is the author and perfecter of our faith. We're looking to him, to God and direct us. As disciples of Jesus, we are learning to trust him in all circumstances, not only in the ones that look good, because it's easy to walk through a place that doesn't look bad, that is not really challenging, that is not really demanding something from you, that is not really a sacrifice for you. It's easy, right? Right? But when God calls you out, it is only in the power of God that we can do so. In the ministry, we can easily be doing ministry in our own power, but what happens when we're doing it in our own power? We can easily begin to become prideful because it becomes successful. Or we can easily fall apart because it's not successful. Why? Because you were relying on your own strength. When someone's not getting it and you're trying to tell them about the Lord and they're not getting it, and you get mad and you get upset and you're like, I'm not going to talk to them no more. You act like you're the one convincing them. It's the Holy Spirit who comes to convict the world of truth. Not Sergio, not Howard, not Mo. We cannot convict you. We will probably condemn you because knowing us, we're jacked up. But it's only the Holy Spirit who could do the work that we could never do. The Holy Spirit of God. So today, have we been looking to our own power and strength? Have we been trying to take control of our own circumstances? Symptoms of that is that there's anxiety, there's frustration, there's all kind of emotions that are going on inside. We must repent of the desire to be in control, family. We must repent. Believe that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has clearly demonstrated the greatness of this power. Think about the cross, when darkness was over everything, and Jesus was in the grave. 
People thought all hope was lost. But in that dark moment in history, God demonstrated his power when he rose Jesus from the dead. And it is the same God that we look to. It is the same God that we worship, the one true king. And this truth shall set you free. Bow our heads. Father God, we are so thankful that you are patient with us. God, we, we immediately stumble, we immediately fall, and then we begin to complain and murmur. God, we repent for that, Father God. We come to you today with a heart of repentance and ask you, oh God, that you will search our hearts, that you will lead us to that place of worship, that we would fall out of love with this world and fall deeper in love with you. God, we need you. Have mercy upon us, oh God, for we recognize that we are weak, but it is in our weakness that the strength of Christ is perfected within us. So let us boast in our weaknesses. Let us boast in our weaknesses. Because Jesus is powerful in our behalf. Lord, thank you for this reminder of your power from creation all the way to redemption. We honor you and we glorify you. In Christ's name, amen.